0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to another edition of Citizen Reporter. This is episode 413 for the 6th of March, 2012. I wanted to start off just by saying one of the things I love about podcasting and why I've been so dedicated to it for so many years is that I love the fact that I can do an interview and I can tell you right up front, I'm very excited about the person I'm talking to today. And I'll show you and tell you why. And you can join me in the side for yourself if you have a good feeling about the type of work, the type of stories that we talk about today. So let's get to it, and you decide.
1: Dealers and CEOs fired and paid off through the nose, buying yachts and fancy homes with the bailout money from the savings and loans. And I get pissed. Off, that is. It's dot-com this and dot-com that, and the underwriters are getting fat on an airwaves stole from you and me by a bunch of thieves called the FCC.
0: Yeah, no, because the reason I want to just get into this recording is to not sort of discuss what we're going to discuss beforehand, because you're someone who I feel like I can ask about not only like projects you're working on, but a little bit of background, and I don't have to give you a whole preface to that. Sure.
2: Uh, yeah, um, I like it. It's it's more exciting.
0: Yeah. So everybody listening, uh, we're talking with Annie Correal, who's in Brooklyn right now, as I sit here in Amsterdam. Hi, Annie.
2: <laughs> Hello, Mark. Hi, everybody.
0: And uh, I mean, people know over the years, anyone who's been listening to this program, even just for a little while, they know I like stories. In theory, people listen because they also like stories. Um, in my case, they happen to gravitate more towards problems because I feel like as much as I love stories, I want to do some good in this world. And, uh, one of the goods I'd like to do is perhaps, uh, pointing out something that could be fixed and then things would be better for some people. Right? So that's a lot of times where I come from with storytelling. Although of course it's not limited to that. You, I mean, you got to tell me, but it seems like you have a love for stories that runs pretty deep as well.
2: Uh, yeah, you could say that. Um, I, I studied literature. I studied literature in, in college and creative writing, and then later went on to do more nonfiction and journalism. Mm.
0: And when you first started, like, cause and I'll, I'll tell you my stories too, so that you're not on your own here. But when you first started with journalism, what was like the first things that you were doing?
2: Um, well, actually I moved to, I moved to Athens. I moved to Greece after college. Um, I went to school on the East Coast, and I graduated just a year after 9-11. And I think for a lot of people of our vintage, um, 9-11 played a big role in sort of uh, reorienting us or or sort of uh, causing us to question our priorities or what we wanted to do. So I moved to Greece, and I started working for um, uh, an English-language newspaper, and it was the run up to the the olympics and it was a very very different time in greece it was um very like heady optimistic time pretty much the opposite of what's happening now and um so that was sort of where i first started writing i had done um you know edited a uh, our weekly newspaper in college but um going to a place like greece which is sort of just this kind of swinging door between east and west between europe and um, the Middle East, but also, you know, sort of Southern Europe and the Balkans just opened my eyes to a lot of things and um, played a pretty important role in the kind of work I wanted to do. Um, I started seeing a lot of issues uh, having to do with immigration um, that would later become much bigger issues. So I started moving away from doing kind of purely, uh, I'd say, more literary or You know, I was writing book reviews and interviewing expats, but I started wanting to do um, more kind of uh, reporting about immigrant populations. So when I went back to New York in 2004, after freelancing for a while, I went back to journalism school to sort of get more experience um, doing sort of street reporting stuff.
0: So it seems like right from the... um beginning in the world of journalism, you were more towards doing things you wanted to do. Because that's interesting to me. Like, there are people who I think just do tasks that are given to them because, I don't know, you're starting out or you're not sure what you want. I mean, were you more on the side where you're doing what you wanted to do, going where you wanted to go? It seems like it.
2: That was the goal and the hope. Um, I did do some, you know, dues paying and worked other jobs to be able to write about what I wanted Mm -hmm. uh, to write about. Um, and then, you know, I spent um, basically until now, until very recently, when I started working um, at Cowbird and on this radio project, I was doing breaking news reporting mm-hmm. um, in New York City. And a lot of that is stuff that no one would really choose to do. Right. <laughs> I mean, it's city council meetings and and press conferences and endless um you know, sort of picket lines in front of City Hall. So I think in every job there obvious um you know, there, there there are always like moments that are not as exciting or not so much what you would ideally want to do. Mm. But um yeah.
0: Yeah. Was it did did there come a point um where, you know, you're doing the you're you're the legs, you're 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 running around doing what you said is a job that a lot of people wouldn't want to do, uh the breaking news world. And then At this point, I've seen enough of your work as uh, working as a sort of creating stories, curating stories in this case, uh, radio program, which we'll talk about as well. Was there some kind of point where you said something's got to change or did this just sort of flow that you suddenly were doing radio stories and and more into the world of storytelling?
2: I think it was just um, opportunities that came up along the way, Hmm. Um, uh, you know, with the Radio documentary that I did about um, kidnapping in Colombia, that opened the way for um, more radio to do more radio.
0: Yeah,
2: and uh, I think in the back of my mind, it was sort of like, well, I would really love to get out of the world of daily journalism and be do and in being able to do uh, longer, uh, more in-depth storytelling. Um, I didn't see a clear path to how I would do that. Um, But it was always something that was sort of in the back of my mind.
0: And... um, Yeah. Yeah. No, it's a a strange thing in general, this this relationship between daily journalism and people working on the longer stories. Um, Like, I get everything you're saying. I think a lot of people do. But then it starts to make me wonder, like shouldn't, shouldn't good people like you be working in daily journalism too? Um, it, it's kind of like the world of teaching. If I could compare, yeah. like, you know, you have the people that have great ideas and they're doing wonderful things. And then you have the people who teach yeah. and it would be cool if occasionally these people were also teaching. But so I, I wonder sometimes, like, are we in trouble? Cause even in daily journalism, creative people don't want to do it.
2: <laughs> well, I think that there's luckily, as you know, in the world of journalism and storytelling, are like one single career can contain all these different stages where you learn different things. And I, I, I agree that, um, you know, it's important for creative people to be doing the daily stuff as well. Um, one thing I think is, uh, you know, having been a daily news reporter, you learn to uh, work very well on deadline
1: Mm.
2: um however you lose your ability to think very much beyond that day yeah so you become kind of a different creature that exists very much within a you know eight to twelve hour span and then you have no idea what's coming the next day and you just have to react to it and i think that um while that's really uh kind of an interesting experience, I think it's not necessarily great for creativity to not be able to think beyond the present day. Because I think good ideas take time to gestate and to form and to change and to be revised. And when you're living in this sort of um, amnesia, this zone of extreme presence, but also amnesia, it's very difficult to, um, you know, really... Uh, conceive of bringing projects to fruition, if that makes sense. Yeah. So for a lot of people like, you know, creative people, my friends and and, and people I've been talking to, I think that it's important for, um, you know, people who are doing daily stuff to also have another project that they work on over a longer period of time, even if it, you know, is really difficult to go home and open your computer again, but to have something that, is yours and allows you to think you know in, in in broader strokes so
0: yeah yeah i'm reminded of that scene i don't know if you you probably did get into the wire the the television yeah. show and there's that one scene i mean everybody surely forgot about that one moment but they're laying off journalists in, in season five and one of the greatest police or crime beat uh um, reporters says uh well I guess I'll go back to that great American novel, you know, and it was just this sort yeah. of typical thing that probably everybody knew a journalist who besides doing what he was doing was allegedly working on a novel that had never come out or would eventually come out only when that journalist retired. Um, but yeah, it makes me think of that. I don't know. The wire always comes yeah. back in my regular life. Um,
2: you need it as therapy, basically, <laughs> if you're covering the daily news.
0: Yeah, the novel. Um, you know, this brings me a little bit to, to storytelling and the sort of personal storytelling. Um, first of all, you know, for those who don't know, Cowbird, I call Cowbird a storytelling community. And then you have, within that definition, more specific uh, aspects. Um, when people ask you, I mean, what's your favorite way to, to explain it?
2: It's a storytelling platform. Um where people can tell stories using audio and text and uh, images. Images are really important. Sometimes I tell people that it's a social platform that revolves around storytelling.
0: yeah,
2: but I don't think that it's primarily a social network, sorry, a social network uh, that revolves around storytelling. I think that um, the stories are really at the forefront, and then relationships are created um through those stories. but you know, we're not. Um, We don't have a direct messaging system. We don't have a comment stream. You have to go through a little bit of trouble if you want to reach out and find the person whose story really touched you. Um, So we are a community and there are definitely sub-communities that are forming within our larger community. But I think we want to really highlight um, incredible storytelling and um, focus on that uh, moving forward.
0: I'm curious what your connection was to Calvert uh, when you first learned of it. I don't know that you were involved in the founding, but but just tell us about that a little.
2: Well, i have known about it for quite a while because Jonathan Harris, the um, creator of CalBird and and its founder, uh, is a good friend of mine since college. So we've known each other for probably like over 10 years now, um, like 11, 12 years so uh, we've been good friends for a long time, and I have sort of watched from the sidelines um, proudly as Jonathan rolls out these incredible projects like uh, We Feel Fine and uh, I Want You to Want Me and Whale Hunt. Um, I've seen him uh, evolve a lot and incorporate different um, ideas and sort of projects um, as part of his lar- larger project. And so with Calvert we had been talking about it for a while and, um, in the fall, he was you know wondering what he was going to do with this platform that he had built, and he was in a in a period kind of of really questioning whether there was a place for it in in the world and on the internet and in the midst of that sort of quandary uh occupy you know he was in California, and um occupy was all over the news and he started. Going over to see what was what was happening at Occupy Oakland, and he really felt that the mainstream media wasn't really capturing um, the the voices of of the movement, and he thought that something like Calvert could offer a, a tool um, to create kind of a folk history mm-hmm. um, of a movement, but not just of Occupy but of like the major events um, you know that are sort of changing our world. And um, that kind of was the, became the um, sort of new direction in which Cowbird uh, was taken. And in the midst of that, you know, we were talking a lot about what was happening in the country. And um, Jonathan asked me to come on and help him, um, you know, run the, the platform and manage the community and help it grow.
0: Yeah. I've known about it for probably two to three months um it was a friend of mine who, who travels the world and likes t- to tell stories as well who, who first put me onto it um you know when you first see it for like the people who are listening uh, I, I think a little bit of flicker when it comes to photos but then not right then it's a bit i'm reminded of video even though there's no video on it uh, that i know of um the weird thing though is like i look at the internet that we have right and i'm gonna if i'm gonna be a cynic let me be one for a second um you know, Twitter. You put things up, you point to something beautiful or what you think is beautiful. It is perhaps noticed for a day or maybe, you know, found again three days later, retweeted. But sometimes I'm, I'm I'm looking at the way we behave and I'm wondering if anybody's really paying attention, you know. And I look at the way the Internet functions and Facebook and you miss a lot of things if you have any number of friends. Um, as much as you're trying to keep up with things, you actually miss them. Uh, I'm not saying all is lost, but sometimes I look at something as beautiful as Cowbird and then I look at someone next to me and I go, look at this. And I get people who do not see what I see. You know what I'm saying? Like, um, Not everybody, I, the internet doesn't seem like a place that maybe can appreciate what you have there.
2: <laughs> well, I think that's that's really fascinating because I think what we want to do is make sure that It's not the internet appreciating the project, but, you know, real people who might be out there who may not be part of the Twitter, Facebook, you know, generation, Mm. sort of go beyond um, the echo chamber that Twitter can sometimes be and create sort of a deeper, longer lasting kind of storytelling that, you know, it may not have, you know, it may not last any longer as a as a phenomenon like a single story may not have um, a life of more than an hour or a day but if someone later on wants to search something like you know uh cancer or suicide survivors or you know first child they will be able to go back and we hope in time um, have at their fingertips the experience of you know thousands of people who are going through what they're going through. Hmm. So I think it's sort of the idea of creating an archive or a public library of human experience, which, you know, it, it has a, you know, there's the moment it arrives in the world, and then there's its life over the longer term. Yeah. And, you know, I've been reading, trying to read every single story that... Um, people post to Cowbird and we're at about 10,000 stories now.
1: Yeah,
2: And it's often, you know, there's stories that I miss for whatever reason, but I go to read a story about, you know, I'll read a story about let's say trees or, you know, someone's favorite tree. And if they tag it or, you know, with, with different tags, or if they put a, a place and a date, I immediately discover other stories that were created with the same tags or on the same date or in the same place. So I'm always being like brought back into this ecosystem of stories. And there's this great element of like discovery and surprise yeah. that lasts beyond the moment of the story's birth, if that makes any sense.
0: Yeah, no, it, it does. Uh, and even to what I just said before, uh, you know, the cynical voice, I already have that right, that counter voice. And, and you bring up an excellent way that that it works the opposite way it, it can actually work quite well i I've, I've put up a few stories and i really want to put up a lot more i have more in mind but every time i, I put something up and i might look at it and say this is nice this is what i wanted you know I'm, I'm i'm happy with this and then i'll start clicking around and i'll find someone else who has done just way more beautiful and has just a better storytelling style and i'll go no this is more like it like no i'm i'm, I'm dumb. Um, <laughs>
2: Yeah, I think, you know, what we want to do, too, is just make sure that really good stories um, make it out into the world and are available and and visible to the community. So we always, you know, we want to, like, just sort of teach or lead by example and not say, hey, this is how you tell a story. This is how it's done, Um, you know, didactically, but just show people examples of, you know, really how... How cool it can be if you if you use audio and text and image in in different ways. Yeah. So that's kind of been our approach: is to put the best best stuff forward and see what comes of it.
0: Yeah, Annie. The, the more I flip and search and click uh, through the, the the things that you've made as a, as a radio producer or the people connected to you in many ways, um, the more I get this great idea that there's um, sort of hope that there's a lot of love for audio left in the world. Uh, a lot of it in Latin America or among uh, Latin Americans, um, but not only. Sometimes as a podcaster and you know, who started out with just the small group of podcasters that I happen to find, uh, what, seven, eight years ago, um, it feels like the internet, again, I'm blaming the internet, it's very sad, but they're more into video, they're more into... Mm-hmm. Uh, breaking news, blogging there, you know, it, it's its anything but the the handmade, homemade podcast. Then I look at what you're doing in audio and I think, oh, wait a minute. There's this whole other group of people in the world. They just don't know, maybe, or we haven't found each other and that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, it sounds like you have a much nicer days in the world of, of audio producing.
2: Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't have much to compare it to. Um, I, I do think that, you know, I think radio has survived the, you know, switch over onto the internet much better than than print has mm. um, in general, and that there's like a lot of creativity and a lot of like energy surrounding radio, because of the presence of just a few really outstanding, um, you know, radio shows and podcasts. Uh, it means that there's this kind of, and, and again, this is like generational and geographic. And I know it's not as widespread as YouTube videos or people, um, you know, retweeting like MSNBC or like, yeah, homemade videos or whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. But I think it's still, I think it's only going to grow and become more widespread, um, because of how, how, you know, anyone can sort of edit sound and, and it, it doesn't take a whole lot, a huge investment for people to start, um, recording their own, their own sound and, yeah. Um, so I, I don't, I think that there's something about, um, preserving or there's something about the human voice. I'm sure you'd agree with me that like expresses a lot. There are sort of shades of meaning that would take a lot of words to convey. Yes. And I think it, um, sort of brings people back to something very sort of basic and human and the fact that all these ideas are coming from you know a real person which there's there's so much that is so disembodied online Mm -hmm. i'll repeat that because there was a beep on my computer (laughs) but there's so much that that that's so disembodied online Mm -hmm. that i think when people hear a real person speaking to them and can hear their breath it kind of brings them back and it's 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 something that is very accessible to most people yeah. So, um, actually I'm going to go back to, you, you had asked me earlier, like, was there a moment when you, when you decided to move away from, you know, the uh, daily. <laughs> daily kind of, uh, just, just the news, just the facts reporting into the storytelling. And I think that, um, you know, I've been kind of hedging, but basically when I was, um, when I was, uh, 29, um, 10 years after, um, my father was kidnapped, I was given this opportunity to go do a radio documentary about my father's kidnapping and a radio station that sent, um, that my family used to send messages to him while he was um, held captive in the jungles of Colombia. So I think when I went down there with my, you know, my kit and started recording him and then went to the radio station and then started interviewing, you know, dozens of families who had had uh, a family member kidnapped. Um, everything just, you know, it brought a story to life in a way. It even brought, you know, my story. I lived through it. Yeah. But somehow hearing these, hearing my father talk about what had happened to him, um, sort of listening to the way that he narrated things, you know, it made something Far away, very immediate, and when I put my documentary out into the world, um, the response that I got was unlike any that I had ever gotten for any article, um, you know just the emotion yeah. and the like the, the authentic kind of um, overflow of like just feeling of like gratitude and hope and uh, sadness all of these things i was just like overwhelmed by how people reacted and i realized that you know by not ever putting myself into my work it didn't have the same effect it didn't have the same effectiveness and it meant that even though i was reporting on things that were really gripping and compelling and mothers who lost their children you know because they were shot on the street or you know, a man crushed in a building collapse. Because I was writing it as straight news and I wasn't bringing all of the details or any feeling to bear on that story, people just weren't responding. Hmm. So I think that 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 kind of something sort of like, uh, you know, that that, that set off a chain reaction. And I felt like, oh, you know, why do, do I really want to do the other stuff if this is possible? um you had mentioned that you you know have reported on problems um mm-hmm. conflict social issues and i think that people are much more likely to respond to stories of that kind if they can connect it to a human voice
0: hmm. yeah yeah as 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 like a blogger and a podcaster i've i've always liked Um, you know, there's a certain narcissism uh, and I've always liked being able to say I was doing this and then it occurred to me. And so I've always tried to make it a sort of way to not only document my own life in a real selfish way, but also a way to lead people into something bigger than the personal story. So I'll, I'll start off telling you why I started considering a bigger issue. You know, when I was going through this area of the world, I saw this and, and then i'll actually bring in sort of harder news related um, information but it's it's always this art between like having myself in there and the personal mm-hmm. angle and then also having you know beyond the my world you know having having the greater mm-hmm. larger story I mean that's something I've loved, and I think maybe one of the reasons that at least at the beginning of this uh, where are we century uh, people were really um, inspired by blogs I- i'm not sure now i'm having a Maybe a year where I'm I'm reconsidering what's going on with blogs as I watch my friends' blogs. But anyway, I'm not asking you about that. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, I, I don't know. Like you know, you, you, we've said how audio still connects with people, and that's good. Um, one of my things is I want people to try it. So in other words, I was in New York a couple weeks ago. I'm sitting across from people with headphones. Everybody's got headphones in their ears. I've had headphones in my ears for ten years, probably nonstop, <laughs> um, and. I always want to know what they're listening to. And what I really want to know is, are they listening to music or are they listening to people talking? Mm -hmm. And I'm really hoping they're listening to people talking. I mean, not always, but more Mm
1: -hmm.
0: because I think that there's so many interesting and inspiring and uh, people to listen to and and it could change your life. Mm -hmm. Um, But I'm not sure everybody tries it. So they may never know. Mm
2: -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, I, and I know it's definitely not something that, like, yeah, it's it's pretty specific to a certain population, um, and a certain age group. But if you look at um, countries like so many countries, radio is still the dominant way that people, you know, understand the world. Mm-hmm. You know, there are places where they're, you know, uh, the radio is on. Like Colombia, for example, it's just you are absolutely saturated. In radio, in the news, in comment, in, in like, you know, satirical news on the radio, in straight up hard news, you know, every hour, like every hour there's just 10 minutes of them, like, you know, news stories that would be front page news anywhere else. There are just like 10 of them in a row because Colombia is such a, you know, crazy place. But like, you know, throughout Latin America, um, in many parts of Africa, um, and in Europe. Uh, as I know that you know, uh, being in Amsterdam, radio still it plays this huge role in um, the life of people who are not on the internet all the time. You know, yeah, taxi drivers.
0: Yeah, true, uh, true.
2: I think that like taxi drivers are just sort of keeping radio alive everywhere.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for all of us. Good. Yeah. So
2: I, yeah, I think it's it, it may seem like oh you know, are people just listening to their playlists and blocking out the rest of you know uh, commentary on, on what's happening in the world I, I think I think that's not entirely true, yeah yeah, and the, the broader picture
0: the kidnap radio piece that you that you did actually right made me think that right away um, when I, when it, it was just one example of a radio station that decided, well, let's focus on uh, people who are kidnapped and families of people who are kidnapped, and let's let's get some kind of communication, let's be a tool. Um, Mm -hmm. And I just thought, wow, that's a really cool example of old radio, you know, old technology um, to have a very modern day and important and unique um, use. Mm -hmm. And I thought, Mm -hmm. wow, you know, that's that's an interesting place already. I don't even know what the other stations are doing. But if that's just one, that's a pretty cool example. Yeah,
2: there, there are several. And it's sort of this idea of like, you know, necessity being, you know, the mother of invention that people respond to crises in really interesting ways. And technology has given them different ways to respond to crises, you know yeah. like in um, in Mexico, where journalists are just under siege uh, there's there have been you know blogs and the anonymity of the internet has given people at least a temporary way to keep uh, covering what's happening in their in their country um, but yeah, I recently heard of another example like I think it's in um, yeah it's in Nicaragua where there's a radio show that actually calls out abusive husbands. It's a way of fighting domestic violence. Mm. So it actually says, you know, this woman came in and this is what her husband had done to her. And it's a way of like, you know, shaming these guys into being better, you know, men to the women in their lives, Mm. which is another, you know, very problematic, but interesting way in which uh, radio continues to have this real social utility. Yes. (laughs)
0: Yes. <laughs> yeah, wow. Well, which which brings us a little bit to um Radio Ambulante, which is the project that I'm sure uh, is taking up a lot of your your mental and and physical uh, work these days. Uh, I want to make sure people know a bit about it. First, you're one of the founders. Uh, tell me about what was going on, what is going on in the world that made you led you to this?
2: Um well, it was actually the the documentary I did Kidnap Radio had um uh it was it, it was similar to um, the subject of a book by Daniel Alarcón mm-hmm. um Daniel Alarcón mm-hmm. and he's a he's a Peruvian writer based in California and his book Lost City Radio is about a uh, radio station that transmits that sends out the na- names of the missing after like a, a decade of terror in a fictional Latin American country. So when my piece, Kidnap Radio, came out about a very similar radio station, um, a lot of people, I, I gather, sort of um, clued him in or talked to him about it. So, uh, and his wife, is um, Carolina Guerrero, is Colombian, and I think she was, you know, she she had a connection with my piece. So when I had the idea to start a Spanish storytelling podcast, they reached out to a few people and I was one of them. And after we talked for a few days, they asked whether I wanted to come on and help them start this project. So we started from basically, you know, what's our name going to be? Just really, really from the ground up. um, And how are we going to reach people? And what kind of stories do we want to do? And, um, you know, just defining the project as we went along, um, and then Martina Castro, who's an amazing um, producer, has done stuff for NPR, and she's affiliated with KALW in San Francisco. She came on a few months um, in to to help us, you know, create this this project. So that's how Radio Ambulante came into being. Um, Ambulante for those people who don't speak Spanish, is a, uh, it's like a street vendor or a traveling salesman. It's the guy selling churros in the subway in New York. It's the, um, you know, man selling uh, corn or, you know, corn on the cob or um, trinkets or whatever else, it's sort of a fixture. The street vendor is very much a fixture in Latin America. But his, I think that they're sort of, um, we chose the ambulante, as a symbol because of the sort of um, mobility, hard work, and like, you know, ingenuity that it takes to, to get by. Yeah. Um, so we thought it was a good, a good symbol for what we wanted to do. Um, and yeah, the ambulante is kind of like a fixture in his community and knows what's going on better than anybody else. So we thought that that would, that would sort of resonate with our listeners.
0: Because what's interesting, one aspect is initially I thought, um, oh, okay, it's a podcast. And then I wondered, like, what's available? I haven't looked. What's available in the world of Spanish language podcasts when it comes to stories? Uh, did you also have a look and say, well, this is this is something that's missing?
2: Yeah. I mean, as far as we've... There, there are a few projects um, that are, you know, based in one country and sort of in, are targeting that like in, in Argentina, there's something that um, people would like to do, kind of more documentary radio uh, online. But we haven't found any um, program, whether it's uh, you know a podcast or an actual radio show, anything that is seeking to do, you know, Spanish language storytelling, uh, generally like a transnational uh, program available everywhere. Not focused on any particular place, um, yeah. as far as we know. And please correct me if anyone knows of anything else, but we ha- we haven't found any other yeah. program that's doing that.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's something I do once a year. I run around the uh, the podcasting sort of directory directories, although iTunes pretty much has the market cornered, and I look for in all the languages that I can speak, which are quite a few. Uh, and I look for storytelling or even news discussion podcasts, but I look for the ones that aren't put out by um, any major networks or, you know, Mm -hmm. for those countries. And it's few and far between in a lot of languages other than English. Uh, For me personally, Portuguese is always a disappointment uh, to the point that I even tried to start my own. And of course, it's just sleeping at the moment um, where I'll just tell stories of my family and of my friends Mm -hmm. in in, you know, our language. But, um, yeah, when I see this, I think, yes, you know, so, so when you're done with Spanish, let's, let's include Portuguese and.
2: Sure. You know. <laughs> yeah. No, we'd love to, we've gotten pitches from, from Brazil, um, nothing from Portugal yet, but we've gotten people from, from, um, Brazil hoping to tell stories about Brazil in Spanish if they have to. Yeah, So, uh, it's cool. There's a lot of enthusiasm and, you know, as you know, um, in in these cultures there's still an incredible sort of oral tradition and uh it's kind of amazing that nothing like this exists because in a lot of ways you know especially the older generation sort of natural born storytellers um maybe to a fault you know you sit down and your grandfather just has way too many stories
0: yeah I know Um, I've been collecting them for years, but yeah, but there's something else that happens and I can't, I, it's too, it's probably too hard to speak about it in the sort of Latin American context, but what you get in all over Europe, but especially in, in in a place like Portugal is that there's this logic that if, if we need it, it will come from, not on high, but mm-hmm. uh, the government or the existing radio network will do it. I, I once said to a friend in Portugal that I wanted to start my own magazine, which I never mm-hmm. did. But, um, and, and he said, yeah, that's your Americanness. Mm-hmm. You, you think that um, you have to start a new one. Portuguese people would go looking for an existing one to join. So mm-hmm. I sometimes wonder if that doesn't just translate over into uh, the world of media and, in this case, podcasts.
2: Yeah, I think, well, you know, I've been like, I don't know how I've, what my tone has been toward the internet, but the internet's kind of broken that open, I think, a lot. Like, you know, I think there's a, um, there is the risk of like provincialism in a lot of places. I mean, it's nothing unique to Portugal or Latin America. People are, have been used to, you know, a very few number of respected and established outlets, mm-hmm. and I think that with the internet, they've started discovering so much more, and they can choose. Do they want to read their news you know in the local newspaper, or do they want to get it from a a different perspective from someone, you know, a foreign correspondent writing for The Guardian? So I think that there's there's this kind of uh, openness to uh, new projects and participating in them starting them um so yeah i think that that's been uh, what we were told too as we as we started out um and it remains to be seen what happens but you know people are sort of like listen you guys shouldn't do this in mexico people listen to mexican radio (laughs) in colombia people like colombian radio and then they don't care about what's going on you know in the dominican republic or, or or what's happening with you know immigrants in chicago no people people are going to listen to just you know their own people and uh <laughs> i think we're, we're trying to see whether that's really true we suspect yeah. that that's not true that you know like peruvians will be interested in what's happening with uh other people who speak their same language in 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 you know
1: mm-hmm.
2: in other parts of the world um if the story is good enough you know the story has to sort of Pass the test. Like, Is it good on its own? Does it matter where this person is coming from? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what we've been trying to do is make sure that like they're gripping enough stories, you know, like, we're looking at doing a story um, about uh, a guy, two men who came from South America in the hold of a ship. And they had bought, uh, they had brought enough food for a certain number of days. And because of um, weather or some kind of you know, rerouting, the the trip took like 20 days longer than expected. And so they're starving in the hold of a ship. And this is kind of like, sounds like it comes from the 19th century. But to Mm -hmm. hear these people, you know, hear this man describe what it was like to arrive in the States after just this epic journey, it doesn't matter where he's from, (laughs) really, at the end of the day. So, yeah. um, you know, we also, that said, we also are interested in like really, uh, showing people, like giving people a ground level view into other cultures that they might not be familiar with. Um, mm. and, you know, I think it's important for us to make inroads into places like, um, Mexico and Venezuela, which have really been, um, not, I, I, they've just been, for so long now represented or, or you know, in the mainstream media, you're just reading about, um, you know, rising levels of crime in Venezuela, the reign of the drug cartels in Mexico. And, I mean, t- from, like, to read the newspapers, you would think that there's not one person living a normal life in these places. And so we'd like to kind of make inroads and show what else is happening in these places.
0: Yeah, yeah. I like it also, yeah, because... Although some people will resist and say it's not it's not going to happen um the idea and the, the the tool to making people realize how much they have in common with people they thought well they're from a different place, so we couldn't have that much in common i mean i I want this for Iran and the United States you know the, mm-hmm. to to sort of because you know we have these groups that love these groups in power that love to invent um you know whatever differences already exist, they love to really push on them to invent new ones. Um, you know, the less uh, co, what is it, co-understanding, mm-hmm. uh, th- the better for them in power who want this to continue. So I, I love the idea of any project that shows you, uh, as as what we've seen, anybody who travels especially, um, that there is so much in common uh, between people in different countries, same language, different language as well. You know, so this is um, a great example of something like that
2: thanks, we hope so. I mean we we've produced like um, you know five stories which four, uh, maybe around five stories which you can listen to now um, yeah. on our website, and we hope to to bring more stories. Uh, our first episode will come out on April 15th okay um, our first full length episode, and yeah, you know, I think you're right that also if people are listening to stories that they can really identify with, it stops being about, you know. U.S.-Iran relations, or it stops being about the immigration debate in the U.S., you know, which is really polarizing and um, a hot-button issue. If we can get away from those, you know, kind of that hot-button type of reporting, I think that, you know, we can actually change people's minds. You know, you, you can't convince someone sometimes by arguing with them, but if you appeal to their basic human emotions, maybe you can.
0: Yeah, I hope so. And so the websites people need to know—we're just talking about Radio Ambulante, and that's uh, RadioAmbulante.org. There'll be a link in the show notes. Before earlier, we sp- spoke about Cowbird, and that's Cowbird.com. Here's an interesting thing, Annie, and I wanted to ask you about it. Maybe the last question for today: Cowbird.com is invite-only at this point. Uh, is that what's the? Is there a big reason behind that?
2: Uh, well, we wanted to make sure we we sort of knew. Um, That the people joining our community were not um, robots and spammers (laughs) and Mm -hmm. marketers, people, Mm -hmm. you know, wanting to market a product. So it sounds more exclusive than it is. Um, Unless we find some, you know, glaring reason why a person should not be involved, say they just want to sell us shoes. Well, we're we're not going to accept them. But um, because we want to keep, you know, we want to keep this uh, sort of clean and honest space, um, yeah. ad-free, uh, yeah. which we, we intend to stay that way. Um, so basically, if you request an invite, um, it may take a day or two, but you're likely to get an email uh, with your credentials and be able to start telling stories right away.
0: Yeah, that's good. So it may seem like a closed community, but it's actually quite an open uh it, I, I think i wrote down somewhere closed community with an open soul i know that's not <laughs> your slogan but i'd like to pitch it as a possibility <laughs> um so that's the other website and uh generally annie correal it's really a pleasure to talk to you as i knew it would be um and i i hope to have you back on this program we have people who who return and, and give us updates and we talk about other things i'd love to have you as one of those people you don't have to say yes or no we'll just surprise everyone when you come back
2: thank you so much mark
1: Fuerte de tus manos quema mis puertos, jazmín oculto, de este país que llevo mezcla de bueyes, de sol seguro. Que llevan tus años de cordillera de mar desnudo, esta raíz del alba, olla de cielo, de vientre duro. Tu voz demora Y el de tu llamarada Valles de huesos Con mesa Donde miran los niños Y el hambre muerde La silla rota El dolor que fuimos buscando t- tumbas siempre buscando tumbas en primavera Buscando tumbas en primavera Y por tu primavera nuestra mirada